If you take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter number 9, Matthew and chapter number 9, <clears throat> grateful for the opportunity to preach. Um, this morning taught out of uh, Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul said that he gave some pastors and uh, grateful that we as a staff get to labor with our pastor. We get to help uh, take some of the burden um, week by week and the responsibilities that uh, are in a church of this size and to be able to give uh, him even time of rest and time enjoying the GIBF meeting and then preparation to preach. And we're thankful, thankful for that. He's he is a blessing and he is a gift to our church and we're grateful for it. So I know you know that, but it's good for us to be reminded of that time and time again. All right, Matthew and chapter number nine, if you would. Let's begin in verse number 27, Matthew nine and verse number 27. We're picking up a story here. Jesus, of course, has, has been in Capernaum. And it says in verse number 27, And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, and we would believe this would be Peter's house, when he was come into the house, the blind man came to him. Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? In other words, do you have faith that I'm able to heal you? And they said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. And as they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, why, he casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages. He attacked the Pharisees. No. <laughs> what does it say? Teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. In other words, they were left basically helpless and hopeless. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. 
I'd like to preach a message tonight entitled this, Taking Aim in His Harvest. Taking Aim in His Harvest. And then a question that would go along with that, and that's this, what's keeping you from laboring in His harvest? And then maybe just a follow-up question that would give us some direction for the rest of the message, or is it this? Or are you taking aim at his harvest? Because we're to take aim in his harvest, not at his harvest. So, Father, once again, we pray and we've asked God that you would mightily bless, Lord, the day and the service tonight. Thank you, God, for the richness of our salvation. Thank you for what you endured and Lord, as pastor preached this morning at the hands of sinful and wicked men, Lord, I'm thankful, God, that you did not let that deter you or distract you or discourage you in any way from going to the cross, paying for our sin. We're here tonight because of that. And so, Father, would you bless and Lord, help us as we desire as a church to take aim this next year and to do what you've called us to do and to go into your harvest and Preach the gospel, Lord, right here in Oklahoma City and around the world. That God would be praised, God would be honored, and people would be helped. And so, Lord, we need you. And we're asking God for your hand of blessing once again. Thank you, Father, for your precious word. Thank you, Father, for your precious people. Thank you for this precious place, Lord, that we have to gather and assemble tonight. And we need you once again, and we'll thank you and praise you in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. It's a man in the pulpit commentary. I don't know his name. He just simply gave his initials by the initial RT, and he made this statement. He said, the routine life of a man, in other words, the day-to-day way in which we go about our life. The routine life of a man should be the best revelation of the man. In other words, what people do and what we see them doing is really a revealer of who and what they are. While attending agricultural school when I was 19 years old, I worked uh, for a brief time for a German immigrant by the name of Mr. Bronner. Mr. Bronner had come to the United States with hopes of uh, making it and living the American dream and, and had a dairy of about 70 to 75 cows, a small dairy, a mom and pop type dairy. And it was a time in which bigger dairies were taken over and, and uh, people like that were really just trying to eke out a living. And so in the process of time, cows have calves. That, that's what happens. And so I happened to notice on a particular day that one of the calves was missing um, from the farm. I had noticed that it had been born. I was part of that process and noticed that it was missing. And so I brought that to Mr. Bronner's attention. He quickly replied, oh, that newborn calf is in the house with my wife. <laughs> he went on further to say, we kept it with us last night in the bed. 
You can imagine my uh, feelings of uh, being disturbed and confused, to say the least. And I thought, well, to each his own. <laughs> but you see, that dairy was his dairy. And that was his means of income. That was his future. And in, if calves like that uh, didn't turn into heifers that would eventually be able to milk and produce milk and be able to carry the dairy on, then Mr. Brawner would not be able to sustain a living and would not be able to continue doing what he was doing. And so Mr. Brawner and Mrs. Brawner's allowing the calf to sleep in the house and to sleep in their bed was a revealer to me of what was important to them. I had forgotten about that very event and the Lord just brought it to my mind. But Mr. Brawner had a love for a calf that I didn't. He had a great appreciation for it. And so his choices and his actions demonstrated what was of great value to him. He didn't allow my thoughts of his actions to embarrass him. He didn't even think twice about telling me we slept with the, with the calf last night in our house. He didn't permit my, my, my confusion of the choice to stop him. I could have laughed him to scorn, but it would have been to no avail. I could have pitied him, but it wouldn't have interfered with the process at all. He had made a choice and his actions determined his course or his direction. One quality that we love about the Lord Jesus Christ, and I think that we appreciate dearly about the Lord, is His compassion. Compassion, just a simple definition, being the ability to identify oneself with another, to feel with, to come alongside and to fellowship maybe in agony or maybe in struggle or maybe in difficulty. And although we appreciate our Savior's compassion, it doesn't mean that we always understand it nor do we always appreciate it fully. And really, it's because of our compassion that we are. <laughs> because we would not be were it not for His compassion. And certainly, we're saved and we would not be were it not for the compassion of our Savior. In fact, Jesus' passion drove His compassion. Hope that makes sense. Jesus' passion, his passion for, for mankind, his passion for people, his passion for, let's say it this way, to us. His passion drove his compassion. But it's not as if the Lord didn't encounter opposition during his personal ministry while on the earth to fulfill his heavenly mission. People were and people are his passion. However, as is the case, people attempted to keep Jesus from his mission, sometimes willingly, sometimes unwillingly. They, they did it wittingly or unwittingly. Uh, Joseph and Mary, I think about the time when Joseph and Mary, and I'm paraphrasing here, but, but they were seeking their son and they said, son, where, where have you been and what have you been doing? We've been looking all over for you. And, and what did Jesus say unto them? He said, how is it that you sought me? Wist not that I must be about my father's business? Think about the disciples when, when uh, they were busy eating and they, they said to their master, Master, eat. <laughs> Join us. Eat here. Jesus, of course, he saith unto them, My meat 
In other words, my passion, my meat, my meat is to do the will of him that has sent me and to finish his work. I think about when in the book of Luke, when, when Lucifer, uh, Satan himself, tempted Christ and tried to get him to, to succumb to the temptation of the devil. The Bible says in, in the book of Luke in chapter number four that he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, this is right after the temptation, and he went into the synagogues. And you don't have to turn there and read, but I'm going to read just a few verses here. And as his custom was, and notice what he did there, he stood on the Sabbath day to read, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of the sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Peter, of course, comes to him and took him uh, by the side and began to rebuke him, saying unto him, Be it far from thee, Lord, that, that this shall not be unto thee. When Jesus was going to the, to the cross and he tried to interfere with, with Christ doing so, and, and he said, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of man. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Those are just a sampling of Jesus Christ himself illustrating the desire that he had to, to show the passion and dis display it. And not only were people his passion, but Jesus understood this and he understands this, that people needed his personal touch. And so right here in the story, in the book of Matthew, we find here that the, these two blind men, they approach the Lord. In fact, they, I, I picture it this way, that, that Jesus is walking and he's on his journey and, and they cry out to him and they said, they said to him, thou son of David, have mercy on us. And, and Jesus keeps walking a little way and he goes a little further. No doubt they probably uh, summoned him once again. And then they followed him into the house, which was not an, a, a weird or uncommon thing. But they go into him into the house and, and uh, they, they, Jesus, of course, asked them, said, do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe that I can heal you? And what did he do? He instantly touched them and they were healed. And through an exercise of their faith, Jesus graciously bestows mercy upon them. And then, of course, he forbids them to publicize the miraculous event. And rather than obey... And do what Jesus asked of them. They, they did what they wanted to do. And in the verse there that we see. And then hearing of the good news and of Jesus' miraculous touch. Notice, notice down here also in the passage in verse number uh, 31. But when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. And, and they went out beholding, or excuse me, behold, they brought to him a dumb man. In other words, a man that was unable to speak. He was unable to communicate. He was unable to, to verbalize. And he was possessed with a devil. When the devil was cast out, in other words, uh, the, the, the record here, Jesus, it, it's not all recorded exactly what was said or what was done, but ultimately we know this. The man was brought to him. He healed them, healed this man. And as soon as the devil was cast out, the man began to speak, began to proclaim and began to, to, to be in amazement. And, and notice the, the story here. The multitudes marveled. It was never so seen in Israel like this. 
It's interesting when we look at the reaction of these three different groups of people here to the Lord's powerful display of his passion. The blind man, they, they, uh, they were healed and they refused, listen, they refused to obey a simple request. Jesus said unto them, when you, when you leave here, see that no man know it. Somebody may be saying, well, but they had good intentions. I mean, come on, they wanted, to, they wanted to tell others about God. What, what's wrong with that? Well, the problem is this. Jesus said, don't do it. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to why some would say that Jesus wanted the focus to be on him rather than upon the miracles. And I, I certainly am behind that. Uh, there were others that would say something like this, that Jesus was concerned that, that the crowds would uh, be massed upon him and that he would not be able to. And listen, don't misunderstand me here that there would be the crowds that would come in and because of that, it would limit even some that would be able to come to him. Some would speculate that that might be the reason or that might be the cause. The very fact that someone was proclaiming God's greatness would potentially further aggravate his foes even more. Regardless of the case, Jesus simply said, don't go tell any man. You say, why would he tell them that? Why would he say that? Well, Jesus knows every man's heart. He knows every man's motive. He knows every man's actions. And he simply said, don't do this. And what did they do? They went out and disobeyed God. Regardless of what Jesus has said, they disobeyed a direct command of the Lord. However, I love what Spurgeon said, however natural disobedience may appear to be. Somebody may say, yeah, but Brother David, I mean, come on, wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to go out and tell others what Christ has done for you? I mean, that's a, that's a natural cause. That's a natural result. Yes, but, but Spurgeon goes on and he says, however natural disobedience may appear to be, it's disobedience and must be excused, must not be excused, he said. Isn't it incredible that Jesus had just done for them what they could not do for themselves? And they felt perfect liberty to disobey him. Now, those of you and us that have had children and children in the home, we, we, we get this. We understand this. You know, we raise children and we invest in them and we care for them. We work and labor and give and provide and, and meet their needs. And, and then it's like they just look at you like, it's okay for me to disobey you. Well, well, wait a minute, I've done all this for you and I've helped you and I've instructed you. Why would you feel the liberty to do it? Well, it's, it's in mankind. It's in us to do that. And so regardless of that, Jesus had given a clear, simple request and they disobeyed him. Then we see here also in, in verse number 33 that the multitudes began to marvel. So it, theirs wasn't disobedience. They, they marveled at what he did. They were praising him. They were exalting him. They, they, were, they were singing his praises. The word marveled simply means to wonder with amazement. It means to be awestruck. And so they heaped praise upon our Lord. They might have said something like this. We've never seen anything like this before. I'm sure they probably poked each other on the side and said, I bet the, I bet the Pharisees and the Sadducees wish they could have this kind of power. I wish, I bet you, they might have even turned to them and said, did you just see what he did? As if that was going to help the Pharisees have a better attitude about God. No one does this kind of stuff around here. They probably said something like this. You're amazing. And he was. I said he was. And he is. 
And they praised him and they gave honor to him and they gave glory to him. And, and, and it was wonderful. It, it's what should have happened. It's what should have taken place. But then we find a third group of people there. Verse number 34, but the Pharisees said, no, nah, we ain't buying it. <laughs> he casteth out devils through the, through the prince of the devils, which look up here, doesn't even make sense. And yet they had so convinced themselves that, that they didn't like what God was doing and they didn't want to believe what God was doing. They couldn't deny it. They couldn't, they couldn't say, this didn't happen. No, they had to be convinced that it happened. But they were so convinced of that, of this. We don't like Jesus. We don't want to believe in this. And so they made up some, some story that Jesus was casting out demons by the devil's power. They criticized him. They falsely accused our Lord they mocked his power. They blasphemed him. We could say it this way. They out and out lied. One would have to ask themselves, how would they know that he was doing this in the power of the devil? And in a jealous rage, they were critical of our Savior. Since they couldn't refute his power, they lied, they attacked, they vilified which is how Satan works. You say, are you, accusing, are you accusing the Pharisees of being influenced by the devil? Absolutely. That, that's, they're of the father, they're devil. That's exactly what the Lord told them. But I want you to notice here that the passion of our Lord directed his response. Because even though we see here that people didn't do what he expected of them, you know, he gave a clear command. I mean, just a simple command, one job. He, he just simply said, don't, dis, don't, don't go and tell anybody. And, they, and they, they disobeyed. Then you've got a second group of people and they're, pray, they're heaping praise upon our Lord and they're giving honor to him. And then this third group, they're, they're attacking him and they're being critical of him and they're leveling false accusations against our Lord. Well, how did he respond to all this? How did he react to this? He didn't say, well, people have let me down. I quit. <laughs> That's it. No more. <laughs> I asked him to do one job and they couldn't do it. I'm tired of people failing me. I mean, come on, the disciples, how many times have they failed our Savior? How many times did they messed up? How many times did they bickered and, and, uh, and falsely accused each other and others and, and made, made statements that are just unbelievable and, and they were failing him. And, and so Jesus didn't look around and say, people are failing me on every side. I'm, I'm done. I'll never ask them to do anything again. He didn't go to those that he had healed their sight and say, okay, be blind again. He could have. He could have called the two blind men back and said, okay, you didn't do what I asked you to do. I'm going to strike you with blindness. There you go. How you like that? He didn't do that, did he? I said he didn't do that, did he? No, not at all. His response was one of grace. He didn't retaliate. He didn't straighten them out. He didn't embarrass them. What about the, mar the multitudes that were marveling? It's very interesting here in this passage, but, but he didn't dwell on their praise. 
They're, they're praising him and they're marveling and they're, they're awestruck with him. But, but he, didn't, he didn't say this. He didn't say, well, it's about time. It's about time that people recognize who I am. It's about time that, that, that this nation understands who Jesus Christ is. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say, well, you like that? I'll give you some more. He didn't abuse his power. He didn't focus on his ability to exhibit and to be a, a great exhibitor of miracles. Listen, he could have sat there all day long and wowed them to death. Miracle after miracle after miracle and just says, keep bringing them, keep bringing them, keep bringing them. But that wasn't the response of our Savior, was it? He just did what he was there to do. He could have chosen to draw more attention to himself, but he didn't. And then what about the, the criticism of the Pharisees? He, he, look, look at it. he could have brought the devil up himself. He could have said, you, you want to you believe that I am, I am uh, uh, healing by the power of Satan? He could have brought him right up and said, here's Satan right here. But he didn't do that either, did he? He wasn't dismayed. He didn't let their lies and their blasphemy and their critical spirit get to him. He didn't even show disgust for them. He didn't fight with them. He didn't tell them, I'll show you. He didn't get in a ver verbal battle with them. He didn't get his phone out and say, well, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll Facebook you right now. No. He could have zapped him right there on the spot. But in meekness, he went on. I said in meekness, he went on. Somebody says, well, he's God. Why didn't he call back the blind men and rebuke them? And why didn't he enjoy the praise of men? I mean, he's God. Why, why didn't he set the Pharisees in their place at this time? Why not? Because there were matters of greater importance. Did, did you hear me? Why didn't, he, why didn't he deal with the blind man? And why didn't he heap more praise upon himself and allow that to happen? And, and why didn't Jesus revel in all that? And why didn't Jesus set the Pharisees in their place and, and take care of them right there? Because there were matters of greater importance. He did what he came to do. In fact, let me say it this way. He didn't allow his passions to drive him but he let his passion drive him. His passion being this, you. His passion being us. His passion being the world of which he came to die for. His passion being that mankind would, would come to know the Father and that they would see God as God and that they would, they would understand that Jesus was God in the flesh, came to die for the sins of mankind. He didn't let people keep him from people. Think about that for just a second. He didn't let people, the, the, the situations that, that he was dealing with, the, the two blind men that disobeyed, the, the people that were heaping praise upon him, the Pharisees that were out of control and, and uh, blaspheming him, he didn't let people keep him from people. He didn't let the failures of people stop him. He didn't let the praise of people slow him down. He didn't let the, the critical people divert him. He simply did what he was called to do. And somebody says, well, what did he do? And what was he called to do? Well, look in verse number 35. 
Notice, notice the word there, and. It's very interesting here. I, I love it, but, but in the passage here in book of, of Matthew chapter uh, number nine, and in fact, if you were to go up a few verses there in verse number 24, when Jesus began to heal, they laughed him to scorn. You know what Jesus did? He just healed. And the Bible says, and verse number 27, Jesus departed thence. Verse number 35, after he had been criticized by the Pharisees, what does the Bible say? And Jesus went about. Look at chapter 10 and verse number 1. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits. You know what Jesus did? He just kept doing what was right. He just kept on with the passion that he was here for. He was, he, was, he was driven by that. And so in verse number 35, we see here that Jesus here of himself, he put others first. He went about all the cities and villages to the big towns and to the little towns and to little people and to big people. And his focus was not on himself. There was no selfish ambition about this at all. He was simply doing this. I'm going to make sure that people are cared for and loved and, and I'm going to do everything that I, that I have in my power as God to do this to make sure that people are in a right relationship with my father. And he lived to serve others. He went and he taught and he preached and he healed and he prayed and he encouraged others. It's right there in the text. You can, you can see that for, your, for yourself. He sought to minister to the needs of others. He saw the multitudes and he was moved. He was motivated. He was compelled by their real need because the needs of others affected his life. And if anybody had the right to rebuke the disobedient, if anybody had the right to sit and enjoy the praise of men, if anybody had the right to set the liar straight, he most certainly did. But he did what he chose to do, and that was this, to labor in his harvest. And just like Jesus... People and the tendencies of people are going to come. And we can rest assured that as followers of Jesus Christ, they too will come our way. What will our response be when people don't do what we expect them to do? When people let us down? When people just get weird? <laughs> It's going to happen. One of my favorite secretaries here at the church, beside my wife, my wife's my favorite secretary, <laughs> often says this, people. And I tell her, you're a people. It's okay. <laughs> but people are going to do things. And they're going to say things. And they're going to let you down. And they're going to frustrate you. And they're certainly not going to do what you ask them to do all the time. You going to make that your harvest? I said, are you going to make that your harvest? When people frustrate you and they let you down and they, and they disappoint you and there's disillusionment and there's discouragement, are you going to make that your harvest? In other words, are you going to, are you going to be busy with that? 
Are you going to let that consume you? You know what it's like. You're driving to work and trying to get to trying to get to work and somebody pulls out in front of you and somebody does this and you get all bent out of shape. And and for six hours for the rest of the day, you're still thinking about that red car that pulled out in front of you and you're still frustrated about what they did. And listen to me, you've made that your harvest for the day. Why didn't they just yield? And I'm talking to him and my wife, my wife said, what are you doing? They can't hear you. They don't know what you're saying. They're just doing their own thing. And I'm like, I want to fix them. I want to help them. <laughs> and if we're, not, if we're not careful, that becomes our harvest. And it becomes more important that people know how to drive than it is that people know how to know our Savior. And you can spend all your time and energies rebuking them and labor in a lost cause. Spend all your time crying because people let you down. Can't believe that they did that. But listen, if they did that to the Savior, I said if they disobeyed the Savior and if they, let, if they didn't carry out what they were supposed to do when Jesus gave a simple command, what makes me think that people are going to not fail and disappoint and discourage. What's your response going to be to the praise of men? People heap praise upon you and they marvel at you when you are used of the Lord to do great things. Well, I sure like that. And so you seek to do more to get the praise of men. You lay, your labor now becomes pleasing men instead of pleasing the Father. And, and come on, oh, how easy. <laughs> it's natural. It's natural for us, for our flesh to listen and enjoy and begin to believe what men shower us with. And if we're not careful, our life's work can become finding ways for people to marvel at you. Could be how you sing. God gifted you to sing and gifted you to be in the choir and gifted you, gifted you to, to sing here on the platform. And, and listen, we're blessed and we're, we're beneficiaries of that. And we love it and we praise God for it. And, it. and it should cause us and point us to Christ and cause us to think about him. But, but listen, if we're not careful, we can enjoy the praise of men. And, and people say, I love how you sing and I love the way that you, that you do that. And, and all of those things. And listen to me, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Singing well is not a bad thing. Singing well is a good thing. It's a gift from God. It's a blessing. But if we're not careful, we can come to enjoy that and make that our harvest. Could be the matter of soul winning. My goodness, you can talk to people. I've never seen somebody talk to people the way that you do. And if we're not careful, we can win souls or attempt to win souls to please men. Bible memorization, Bible knowledge, kindness, generosity. Oh my, that, that woman or that, that man or that family, they're, they're just so generous and they're just so kind. And listen to me, if we're not careful, that can become our passion to receive more praise of men. And before you know it, you're working at those things to hear more of the same. If the Savior who alone deserves men praise moved on, 
then what makes me think that I have the right to revel and receive it? And what will your response be to the criticism of men? Some might say something like this. Well, I sure liked it better when Brother Ludy Smith was here on staff. <laughs> Brother Chevron was here on staff. I sure love listening to him read the scripture rather than you, Brother David. Sure was better when Brother Greg was here. Sure was better when Hartland wasn't here. And we can begin to criticize. So how do you respond to that? How much time do you spend fighting your enemies? Engaging in verbal warfare could be in your mind, could be outside of your mind. How many fires are you trying to put out? Are you trying to protect your credibility? Are you trying to build a legacy and to guard it? Because here, here's the reality. People, people are going to lie about you. They're going to misjudge your motives. They're going to be critical of you. They're going to misunderstand you. They're going to, they're going to be unappreciative of you. You may be fully set on doing something well and, and having a right motive and having a right desire and somebody begins to question your motive and question your, your desires there and, and they'll unappreciate you. But listen to me, you can invest your time and energy in areas that Jesus never did himself. And we can spend all of our time and our labor and our energies in our own harvest to the neglect of the Lord's harvest. Are you willing to serve the Lord in spite of people's failures? I'm asking you. Are you willing to turn down personal attention to live for God? Are you willing to refuse to engage in your own personal defense for the Lord? Because there's a labor to be done in His harvest. I have a list here of... This is on any given Sunday, any given Sunday right here at Southwest Baptist Church. There's, and this is a very conservative number here. 1,227 members serve on any given Sunday. Any given Sunday, not a special day, just a, any given Sunday. Total man hours served on any given Sunday 3,100 hours of service rendered to our Lord and to his people and to guests. And I've got it broken down. I'm not going to read them, but you could, you could look at it if you want to. But people in the choir, people that are doing music prep, our staff, our, the nursery, the safety team, hosts, greeters, Sunday school teachers, bus, bus dismissal, parking lot, gym, Ushers, guest packet people, altar workers, Heartland singles, AV team, patch and peewee, piano, song leaders, the finance team, the seating ushers, additional nursery, sound booth, morning behind the scenes, instrumentalists and special music, afternoon cleaning and security, junior church, sixth grade, junior high, senior high, super church, four and five-year-olds, youth and snipe before church, bookstore, Sunday a.m. counters, deaf ministry, and the list could go on. And somebody may be saying... Well, oh, I just don't see the need. 
this taking aim and, and uh, whatever pastors challenge us to do. It's, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I mean, and some may say something like this, well, it's a big church and everybody's got, got a spot and everybody's doing their own thing. And I, I'm not sure that I could find a place here. Well, listen to me, listen. And I don't, I, please mis, don't misunderstand me. I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not trying to be critical here. I'm really not. But it's kind of hard to see the need when you're laboring in your own harvest. And, and is it possible? I think this is a valid question for us to ask. Is it possible that, that I'm letting people keep me from people? Jesus didn't do that. He, he knew the tendencies of man and he knew the propensities of man and he knew that men would let him down and he knew that, that men would heap praise upon him and he knew that there would be criticism and he knew that all of these things would take place. But listen to me, he did not let people keep him from people. Amen. And it's going to happen. Even, even writing this sermon, I have to confess, even writing this sermon, even this week, there was a thought that ran through my mind and, and the Lord said, David, what are you thinking? You're going to let them keep you from me? You're going to let what they did keep you from serving? You're going to let them keep you from spending time with you? Brother Steve, stand up here for just a minute, if you would, please. I love Brother Steve. I've known Brother Steve for a long time. But is it not possible that even in a good relationship, there could be some misunderstanding and some struggle and some difficulty along the way? Sure. We have to allow for that. That happens. And, and here's the thing. If, if I let that happen between me and Brother Steve, I'm, I'm simply saying this. Steve is more important to me, and I'm not going to have God here because I can't. But let's, let's put God right here. My Savior, my Lord, my Creator, my friend, my Counselor, my, my everything. He's my everything. But if, I, if I'm consumed with something that Steve did or said or something that I even did, maybe I'm beating myself up because I hurt him or I offended him and I can't get over it and, I, and I'm, I'm simply consumed with all of those thoughts and those ideas and all of those things, what I'm simply saying is he's bigger than God in my life and he's greater than God and he's, he's, more, he's more of an attention grabber to me than God is in my own life. I'm going to give him more attention than my creator? I'm going, to, I'm going to show him more time and attention than I am to the God who saved me and redeemed me and loves me and cares for me. And it happens, doesn't it? Jesus didn't do that. You, you can be seated, Brother Steve. He didn't let people keep him from people. He didn't let the praise of men, he didn't let the criticism of men, and he didn't let even the disobedience and the failures of men keep him from what he was called to do. And I'm just asking us tonight, is it possible that we're not seeing the harvest as he sees the harvest? I go back to the story of Mr. Bronner. And I didn't love that calf like he loved that calf. And I didn't appreciate that 
at that time, I do now. I see it now. Listen, I see it now. <laughs> at the time, I didn't see it. 19 years old, I, I, that's no excuse, but I didn't see it. And I think if we're not careful, we don't see as Jesus sees. And we don't feel as Jesus feels. He showed compassion. He saw the multitudes. And what does it say? He was moved with compassion. It compelled him. It drove him. It motivated him. And if we're not careful, if we don't see as he sees, and if we don't feel as he feels, we'll not be able to do what he did. And so here's what will happen. We'll let people interfere with us reaching people. And can I say this? It may even be me and myself alone that I've allowed to keep me from other people. May not be that somebody else has offended me. May not be that somebody else has let me down. May not be that somebody else is heaping praise or they're criticizing. It may not be any of that. It may be right here in my own sinful, wicked heart. I'm embarrassed of this. I was raised as a Dallas Cowboy fan. I'm not embarrassed of that. I, I'm, I'm embarrassed of this, this activity. I watched every game. You can ask my mom. My, my walls were plastered with Dallas Cowboys stuff. I had attire. I had socks. I had a cowboy hat. I had all that stuff. And I'd watch the game. And, and if they lost, we'll go back to my room, tear the posters off my wall, take my hat and throw it in the closet. Blanket I had wrapped up in me while watching the game. I took it out and said, Mom, you can have it. I don't want it anymore. We say, yeah, that's, that's pretty childish. It was. I was 15 years old still doing that. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is, is simply this. Isn't it amazing what we can let come between us and what we know is right. We know that there's people that need to be saved right here in Oklahoma City. We know that there are hurting people that come and sit in the pews beside us. We know that there's people that are looking for something and searching for something that rode a bus. And if we're not careful, it's my harvest rather than me taking aim in his harvest. And again, it also could be this. We might even be taking aim at his harvest. The very people that he loves, we may be drawing a bow against. Fighting, battling, struggling, resisting, all the while knowing God loves them just as much as he loves me. Are you taking aim in his harvest? If not, would you? Would you see as Jesus sees tonight? Would you feel as he feels so that you could do as he does? Father, tonight we thank you, God, for your grace, for your mercy, for your love. I'm thankful, Father, that you didn't give up on us. Thankful, Father, that you didn't turn away from us. 
I'm thankful, God, that you didn't let the Pharisees keep you from going to the cross. I'm thankful, Father, that you did not allow the praise of men to sidetrack you from doing that which was needed. We're here today as a result of our Lord's love and our Lord's passion and compassion for us. And God, we're called to be just like you. We're called to love the people that you love. We're called to invest in the people that you are investing in. We're called to share the gospel with people that you died for and that you love. And so, Father, I, I, my prayer tonight would just be simply this, that we, would, that we would not let people keep us from people and reaching those around us. There's a great work to be done. There's a great harvest. And Jesus begged his disciples, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. So Father, thank you for the great work that's been done here at Southwest Baptist Church. May we guard it. May we protect it. We're, we're thankful for faithful servants of God that year after year have been in their place and doing the work of God and that have kept straight and that have kept right and have kept, kept on and have done exactly as our Savior has called us to do. But Father, I know the tendency of all of our hearts. And God, I pray that you'd help us to guard against it. And Lord, simply just to remain humble before you and to be like Christ is and to see what you see and to feel what you feel so that we might do what you have done. Thank you, Father, in Christ's wonderful name. Amen.